And my brother's neighbor comes by. He's like, what the hell are you guys doing? It's like, ah, stupid game we made up as kids. He stayed for three hours and played with us. So he comes back the next day. We're playing Black Friday at 11 o'clock. We couldn't get enough. So we're playing out front. He comes back and he goes, guys, I went online. This game doesn't exist anywhere. And I'm like, this guy's going to steal our idea. We got to do something about this. And that's how it started. My mother-in-law made a prototype for us. Hi there, and welcome to the Greyhound Guide, the official podcast of the Sport Management Department here at the University of Indianapolis. This episode is part of a limited edition series titled The Founders Part 2. Hear from sports entrepreneurs such as the co-founder of QB54, the founder of the sport Foling, and Casey Wright, the founder of the Ninja Zone. In these three episodes, we'll learn how these individuals went from idea to product to sales. I am your host, Cody McCullough. So whenever there's a family gathering, someone always gets left with doing the dishes. This usually means missing out on whatever festivities are taking place outside of the kitchen. So what excuse do you use to get out of those chores? For brothers Mike and Frank Silva, their excuse, creating a new tailgating game. This started when they were about 10 years old, and 30-some-odd years later, they launched what is now known as QB54. The game combines every aspect of competitive football into a safe game that can be played in parking lots, backyards, or beaches. We are glad to be joined by Mike Silva today, co-founder of this new and exciting game. Thank you for joining us today, Mike. Thanks for having me, Cody. It's a pleasure to be here. So we like to start off every podcast with a fun question, and I want to ask you if you could get QB54 on as like a product placement of any TV show, current or old, what show would you choose? The first thing that comes to mind is College Game Day uh, on ESPN. And I have a funny story for that. Um, it was the Army-Navy game at Philadelphia. It was pouring down rain. And I went out there with a couple of sets in the back, just trying to sell them out of my van. And uh, I, I didn't know College Game Day was going to be there. One of my buddies was there. Or sorry, my, one of my buddies texted me. He goes, dude, you know College Game Day's there. You got to get on. So I'm like, all right. It was just me. It was my mission. So I see the stage, everything's set up. And all of a sudden, the cameras go on. And the, the hosts get from out from under their chair. They walk out to the platform where they're in front of the crowd or whatever. So what do I do? I have one chair set up with the field goal post in the background, following the camera I'm on TV for two minutes. People are like, what the hell is this thing in the background? It's on YouTube. Check it out. I just put it up. It, it's pretty sweet. So if I had to, if I had to be on a show i'd like to legitimately be on college game day and having the host play my game which is a football game instead of cornhole uh to me it just makes sense (laughs) how did you not know that college like that is such a lucky coincidence my buddy texted me you know I I think they were there you know every I've been to army navy game every year and I'm so focused on on getting my game out to as many people as I can and sell as many units and I just didn't know that they were there and he texted me I'm like screw it I'm there let's go (laughs) so could you kind of I know you've talked about before but explain the origins of the game and how you and your brother created it and what the rules are because when I heard you explain the rules on the last episode I listened to, I was like, it started off pretty simple, but you said like it's evolved with the users over time. It's really interesting. It has. So 
like you said in the intro, it, the game started when my brother and I, I was 10, my brother's 13 or 9 and 12, whatever it was. It was Thanksgiving. It was time to do the dishes. And my brother turns to me and says, hey, do you want to go play football? And I was like, how are we going to play football? There's two of us. All of our friends are at their families eating. So we go outside and we were always trying to come up with some cool stuff. And this is way before Canjan. This is way before everybody. So those are listening. Hey, I did this in 1990. Well, we did this in 1983. We took two garbage cans and my dad's CB antennas on the back of his pickup truck. Our favorite play was the instant replay where they showed the receiver catching the ball, dragging his feet out the corner of the end zone. So we're like, how do we emulate that? Let's throw a football into the garbage can. Little touch pass. If you get it in, touchdown. Kick the extra point through my dad's CB antennas. And that's how we played it. And we, we played it for 30 years. Didn't introduce it to anybody until I go down to my brother's house. He moved down to Georgia, 2015. It was time to do the dishes again on Thanksgiving. And he says, hey, do you want to go play the classic? That's what we called it. And uh, I said, sure. So we got two buckets from Home Depot. We didn't have the garbage cans. And uh, we modified the rules a little bit. And my brother's neighbor comes by. He's like, what the hell are you guys doing? It's like, ah, stupid game. We made up as kids. He stayed for three hours and played with us. Uh, I turned to my brother. I'm like, dude, I think we got something here. He's like, ah, whatever. He's, he's, he's nobody. So he comes back the next day. We're playing Black Friday at 11 o'clock. We couldn't get enough. So we're playing out front. He comes back and he goes, guys, I went online. This game doesn't exist anywhere. And I'm like, this guy's going to steal our idea. We got to do something about this. And that's how it started. My mother-in-law made a prototype for us. Everybody thought I was nuts. I brought the prototype to a Little League baseball game at a tournament where there's people from towns from all over. And my team, my coaches on my team, they said, you're an idiot. What, what are you doing? I said, well, I got to put the product out there to see if it's going to work. Family after family walks by and they're like, what is this? How much is it? How do I play it? Where do I buy it? QB54 is born. <laughs> That's how it went. So yeah. how did you guys come up with the name of QB54? And do you remember if you had any goofy ones that didn't make the cut? Uh, yeah, we thought about armchair quarterback that sounded legit, but the, the name was taken. Yeah. Um, and then my neighbor, my, my friend neighbor, uh, Rob Jarvis, he came up with the name QB 54 QB because you're throwing the ball quite a bit 54 because that's the score you play up to in order to win. And you're going to ask me why 54. And I'm going to tell you, we pulled that number right out of our butts and, and that's how we came up with it. Look, anybody can play to 21. Anybody can play to 11. But who plays the 54? That's what separates us from everybody else. And doing this business, we've been doing this since 2016. Oh, your name sucks. It doesn't tell you what it is about the product. What's WD-40? Can you tell me what WD-40 is? No, you can't, right? Can Jam. What's Can Jam? Cornhole. All these things, they're all now popular because everybody knows what the game is. Of course, everybody knows what Can Jam is and Cornhole. Did they know what it was when it first, they first started out? No. Does anybody know what QB-54 was when we started out? No people know about it now so we sold over a million dollars in in sales last year alone which was awesome so for all those naysayers out there that say your name sucks i say hey the proof is in the sales and oh you asked how do you play the game correct yeah just like some of the basic rules sure <laughs> but the, the game comes with two sets of chairs okay go to playqb54.com you can see the picture of the chairs and some videos there but picture uh two chairs one at one end one at the other you can play one-on-one -on -one, up to four or five on five if you wanted to. Basic rules, throw the football, hit any part of the chair or the goalpost, that's a completion for three points. Throw it in the bucket, that's a touchdown for six, and then you kick the extra point through. 
If you kick the extra point through, you get one point. If you kick it in the bucket, that's a fits, and you automatically win the game. Why do uh -huh. we call it a fits? We call it a fits because my buddy Doug Fitzgerald was the first person to do it. So I said, you know what, Doug? You're now going to be infamous. You're going to be called the fits in this game. Rule number nine. That's what it is. We call him number nine. So on defense, if you catch your opponent's rebound off the chair, that's an interception, and they get three points. And that that's the basic version yeah. of it. Now, yeah, I uh, I was on your guys' website and was watching the videos too, and like YouTube, you can see some insane stuff from your customers over the years. Yeah, absolutely, it's fun. It it really is a fun game. You can make it as intense as you want, or you can make it as as laid back as you want. And everybody's involved in every play. You're not just sitting around waiting, watching what he's gonna do. No, you're involved. So it's pretty cool. So I've heard you mention on, like I said, that previous show I listened to about how much your family has helped you with this business uh, over time, whether it be shipping or your kids help selling you, selling stuff at tailgates. For people who are hesitant to start their own business, uh, what advice would you give to them like to lean on the people closest to them in the beginning? Because I just know like personally, when I look at like, look at it from a business standpoint, it's like the hardest thing is probably to hire people and rely on other people and so many people i think forget about the ones that are closest to them that are willing sure. to help well I, I can tell you this if i did not have the support of my family this business would be a complete failure uh first and foremost my wife she probably puts up with a lot of crap from me uh, whether it's uh, on bad days uh, i'm pissed off and and i have a poor attitude but i think she sees um, the good that's coming out of it. She understands the struggle. She understands the possibility of where this can go. So if you are married or if you have a girlfriend, if you have your partner um, uh, that will support you, I think you are 10 steps ahead of the game. Okay. Um, now I started this business when older when I was 41, 40, 40 years old, something like that. I've already had kids and uh, I got my kids involved. Uh, they traveled you know, the country with me uh, going to tailgates, carrying 19 pound boxes on their shoulders, going to, you know, going to these tailgates. And I got to tell you, when you got a kid with you selling, you sell more because they love watching kids hustle. And I'm going to use that. I'm going to use the, the appeal of kids to sell my product. Do my kids enjoy it? Eh, maybe not so much. But in the, in the, you know, during the process, I could only hope that they're learning how to run a business through the hard work and hustle that they see me, my wife, my uncle, you know, their uncle, my brother, uh, you know, working. And my brother side, um, he's down in Georgia, so we call that HQ South since I'm up in New Jersey. But uh, his family's doing the same thing. So, and we have the support of of both families. The name of our business is Team Silva Enterprises. Okay, and it's not a, it's not an accident we called it that. That's what we call ourselves. We call it. We're Team Silva. We we win as a team. We lose as a team, and that and that's how it's done. Um, it is difficult sometimes to work with family in a business, but you have to have that open line of communication. So, um, have I fought with my brother on things? Of course. Have I fought with my wife on things? Of course. Do my kids get pissed off at me? Of course. But if everybody is focused on the same goal for, of success, and when you can share that success with your family or someone you love, it makes it that much better. I mean, you can only wear so many pairs of jeans, right? You can only buy so many cars or so many houses by yourself. If you can share that with people and do some good with it, I think it, it is very fulfilling. And my goal, and I think my brother's goal, is to to uh, pass on a legacy to our family where, you know, 
it's something special. And when we started this business, my brother and I, we didn't think we were going to sell one set. And our goal was to sell one set and see where we can go from there. And then our goal became anytime we went to a tailgate, we wanted to roll up and see somebody playing our game. And, and when we see that, like, I still get, I get goosebumps when, 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 uh, when that happens. And uh, so my advice to your listeners out there, yeah, lean on them. Lean on your, your closest friends and family. If they're truly your friends, and maybe not so much all family, but if your family cares about you, they're going to do what it takes to see you succeed. Now, there's a lot of people out there that are going to want to see you fail because they're jealous. They, you know, It wasn't their idea. They didn't have the guts to go after it. But the, the people that truly believe and love you will support you, and they'll help promote you on social media. And that, that, that was our experience. Sorry for the long answer. No, you're good. Do your, I'm curious because I know if I was like, uh, if my parent did a business like this, I would totally act this way. Do your kids ever hold it against you? Like if you want me to do the dishes or take out the trash, I'm not helping you at the next tailgate. So I started paying them, you know, look, I, I, I oh, did you hear that sale? Um, so I, I started paying them and I wanted them to understand what it, what the value of a dollar was. I didn't want them just going out there helping dad. I wanted to, and then I was paying out of my money. I wasn't taking it out of business. You know, every time, every time we went and sold, I'd give my kid 10 bucks for every game he sold. And he worked three or four hours. We sold 20 games. Kid made 20, 200 bucks in three hours at the age of 11. Do you think he's going to want to work, you know, flipping burgers for minimum wage? No. And that's the beauty of being an entrepreneur. This is the drive to be an entrepreneur. Be your own boss. Call it, make your own shots and look at what you can make if you're working for yourself. Now, there's risk involved, too. You can put up all your money and it flops, but that's that's where you get into failing. Society today is scared to fail. Our kids are, are not set up to fail. Everybody gets a trophy in a lot of occasions, but these kids don't know what it's like to fail. I mean, when you fail a class, do you go back at it harder to pass it, you know, moving forward? If you fail an exam, do you work harder the next time to bring that grade up? That's what I'm teaching my kids. It's okay to fail as long as you learn from that mistake. It's funny that you mentioned failure. So there was, I like to mention this to people when they bring that up because I think it's cool. There's a, there's like a body of water in Indiana and there's a park where you can go and cliff dive into it. And they have anything from 10 feet to 32 feet. And I don't know if you've ever done it before. It doesn't sound high, but when you're standing up there, oh, yeah. yeah, when you're when you're standing up there, it's real. Whoa. And uh, the first time I ever went there, there was a line of like 40 people for the 30 plus jump, and a lot of people would get up to it. You know, everyone chant their name and they'd back out and walk away from it, like grown men and women. This one kid gets up there. I say kid because it's probably like a seven year old girl had a life jacket on, just doesn't even look, just runs and jumps. And there were a couple people in front of me and they were like, that's so they were talking about how the difference between that kid and the adults. And they were saying, like, they said, it's funny because kids don't know fear and failure. They said they learn it from their surroundings. They said, so like they said, it's easy to look at her and think like her parents must be go getters because she didn't act like the grownups in front of her. And I thought that was so cool. Like I think about that all the time. That's a great metaphor. I'm going to use that. I am. I'm stealing it. I'm using it. (laughs) I'll give you credit. (laughs) So I was actually really interested whenever I heard you mention that you and your brother tried a Kickstarter whenever you were bringing QB54 to life. And I thought it was funny. You mentioned how like you see people with goals of like 20,000. You thought they just posted it and hit it. Yeah. Uh, And you guys said 
that you came up considerably short. And I'm just curious, where do you think you went wrong with the campaign? And what revisions would you make if you could go back in time and redo it? Because I don't have a lot of experience with Kickstarter. Like, I'm obviously aware of the ones that succeed because you see sure. them on everything. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm kind of just curious from your guys' viewpoint. So we did that back in 2016. So I think Kickstarter was, I guess, kind of new. It's obviously newer then than it was now. Um, speaking about failure, uh, that was a big failure right out of the gate. That was uh, our first month. But uh, with failure, sometimes comes opportunity. So we put a Kickstarter up there, <clears throat> just went to the park, took some pictures. You know, I don't have a professional photographer or anything like that. Um, had a prototype, put it up there. Hey, we can easily raise $25,000. That's what we did, right? Had no clue what I was doing. Everybody here left and right. Oh, I raised $4 million on Kickstarter. Oh, 110% of what we, everybody's success, right? Nobody says, hey, I failed miserably. Well, we failed miserably. Uh, we put a goal of 25,000 and we raised $835. Woo! So that was pretty demoralizing, but a producer from a new TV show, Steve Harvey's Thunderdome, saw our video on there, loved the personality, loved the product, and said, hey, do you guys want to fly out to uh, California on our dime to be on a brand new uh, TV show? We're like, uh, yeah. So that failure, uh, put it, so putting yourself out there and failing is probably one of the best things you can do rather than being scared of failing and not putting yourself out there. So if I was scared because I didn't know, have a clue about um, Kickstarter and I didn't know what to put, I would never have had that, we would never have had that opportunity to go out to uh, ABC and shoot on a national TV show in front of 4 million people. So if I had to do, I don't know if I would do it all over again differently because if I did and we succeeded, then Steve Harvey show might not have happened. So things happen for a reason, I think. You know, your failures happen for a reason. Your successes do as well. So we failed on Kickstarter, but that opened up a door somewhere else. It's crazy, like how some Kickstarter stuff it just explodes. Uh, there's yep. a game on there right now called Rally Hoops, which is like uh, it's two v two volleyball that's a portable, and it's like incorporates some basketball to it. And you know four. That. Four young brothers from, I think, like the Long Island area came up with it. They just launched a few weeks ago, and their goal was, what was it, twenty-five or 40000 whatever it was. They hit it in the first 40 minutes, their goal. Maybe I should go back on there. What do you think? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I, when I heard your interview and you say that, I was just like, yeah, you know, you you see these people whenever they hit their goal and they start making the social media posts like funded in yeah. 30 minutes. And so well, I thought that was cool. a lot. I think a lot of things change. So the, I think the marketplace has changed too, as far as yard games are concerned. I think yard games right now or tailgate games, whatever you want to call it is a hot market right now. There's a lot of, a lot of people think about the, the environment we're in, right. With COVID and everything, people, you know, they, they they're staying at home, um, they have maybe a little, some people have a little extra money and they're trying to entertain people at home. So I think people wanting to be outside, wanting to do something active. And I think the market, you know, it's like Crossnet you're mentioning, Canjam, there's a lot of good games out there that people are buying up. And, uh, I think that's a lot of reason for their success too, because they're hitting a hot market where when we started, it was just starting to kind of, kind of take off. But I think it's prime right now for, for games to be in the market. So correct me if I'm wrong, your degree from college is in environmental science, right? That is correct. You did your research. 
So I'm curious because I I hated science so much as a student. Like I knew the importance of it and like to the environment and everything. My environmental science professor is actually one of my favorite professors. He was just, he realized not everyone was in it to like make a living. We just, it was a requirement for our like uh, core courses. Right. But uh, so like when I saw that, I know one thing from environmental science, we didn't learn anything about business in that class. Sure. Uh, so <laughs> I'm curious how you were able to figure out everything on the business side from like sales to manufacturing with QB54. And maybe since you did it, like you said, later in life, what are some resources that you would recommend for others to utilize? Sure. So how I got to that degree was I had guidance from my parents, right? So if you have listeners out there that are in college that have zero clue what they want to do, it's perfectly fine. Um, I, my original degree was marine biology. Why? Because I used to go to the beach and I love the ocean. So my mom's like, why don't you get a career in marine biology? I'm like, okay. So that's what I did. I went down to University of Tampa and I met my guidance counselor. Like, what do you want to do with your degree? I'm like, I don't know. She goes, there's only so many jobs where you can train Shamu or Flipper. So I was like, oh, excellent. So, so then I, I transferred to Rutgers and I'm like, I was looking for a degree, something. And I was like, you know what? Environment, environmental science is hot right now. Let me go for that. So what I do, I went for that. So it wasn't my first love. And, you know, there's kids out, you know, kids, young adults that are in college that have no clue what they want to do. It's okay. Um, I did not, I learned zero business from that degree. I learned everything on my own. Um, I learned it through trial and error. I learned it through Google. I learned it through YouTube. Uh, it's everything's at your fingertips. I mean, you guys are so lucky. We're all so lucky right now that my whole store is on, on this phone right now. Any bit of information I get from here, okay? Um, so if I need to figure out how to do Photoshop, I figured out how to do Photoshop. How do I do that? I go on YouTube. How do you do this in Photoshop? Boom. And you just learn it and absorb it. And I also learn from my mistakes. I learn from the mistakes of who to use and who not to use for sourcing. I learned about freight forwarding. You know, when you get stuff made in China, Okay, now your game's made. How do you get it here? I could get it to the port, you know, to the ship. How do I get it from the ship from China to my warehouse in Pennsylvania, New Jersey? Well, there's these brokers. Is this like, you know, your head explodes. But when you're put into a situation that you have to figure it out, you learn. Otherwise, you fail. And if you fail, you lose money. And then you don't want to make that same mistake again so to lose more money. So you kind of learn and figure that out. So, YouTube, Google, uh, life experience, and your network. LinkedIn is huge. For everybody that is graduating, get yourself a profile, get you on LinkedIn, connect to as many people as you possibly can. And if you're creating something, starting a business or whatever, start posting about it. I can't tell you how many people have been following me since day one. And they feel vested in my story because they see me get making these milestones. We just got licensing for Ohio State University. Do you know how big that is? I mean, I was I, we went. My son and I went to Ohio State. It was an Ohio State Maryland game. We tailgated two years ago before COVID happened. Oh, now, fast yeah. forward a year and a half, we're gonna be we're, we're gonna have their marks on our games. I was having trouble getting a parking pass. Now I'm part of the university. How cool is that, right? So now, I, if I post about that, you're going to get all these Ohio State alumni. Hey, Mike, great job. Way to go. This is great. And it just keeps building. So put your story out there. No matter how mundane you think it is, it's like your own reality show. 
and people are rooting for you. People want to see you succeed. The American dream story, whatever, it exists and people love it. Absolutely love it. I got to grab something since you just mentioned that. Hold on. <laughs> and now a quick 30 second break to recognize our sponsor for this series. Here is some not so breaking news. Your grandparents grew up playing cornhole. Your parents grew up playing cornhole, but you, you've lucked out because right now ramp shot is one of the hottest games in all of the outdoor sports. It is considered cornhole on steroids made for the modern day player. Visit rampshot.com, R-A-M-P shot.com today to get your set in time for the summer fun. Let's return to the show. What do you got? <laughs> Change hats. Look at that. That's hot. I, I am the biggest Ohio State fan. Like, so I got this Ohio State director's Dude, chair. Nice. My rug is an Ohio State rug. Look, with a cat. Is that an Ohio State cat? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I have a ton of Ohio State stuff. Dude, here, so that's cool. What do you think? Do you think we could sell a couple Ohio State games? Do you think the, the, the fans will like it? Oh, yeah. I've, I've never been. I, my goal in life is to go to a game there. It is so Dude, expensive. How, you live in Indianapolis? Is that where you're at? Uh, yeah, just outside. Dude, I'm in New Jersey. I drove 11 hours. How far is it for you? Two to get there? How long does it take to get to Columbus? I uh, think four. Oh, oh, my God. Four hours. Dude, you can be there and back for dinner. You should totally go. It's fantastic. And when you go there, there's this place, the Thurman Cafe. It's a, it's a We found it on diners, drive-ins, and dives. It is the best hamburger you will ever eat. It's probably like 20, 25 minutes from, from uh, the stadium. And that's a cool thing. So when I'm going around with my son, we go to Ohio, we go up to Boston, we go to Buffalo, everywhere. He loves diners, drive-ins, and dives. So he picks the places that Guy Fieri goes, and we eat there. Dude, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> I, uh, I went to, in 2017, I graduated with my bachelor's degree, and Ohio State played their, uh, it was a Thursday night game. It was the season opener at IU. And I went to that game to see Ohio State in person. But, yeah, I still have not made it to the shoe. I'm wow, going to. Cool. It's fun. It's a good time. People are nice. People are great, very friendly. They love their football. That's for um, sure. So I, I liked your answer there, like just utilizing the stuff at our fingertips because I always expect if I ask that question for someone to be like, oh, I paid $500 for this course or $1,000. So, so that's interesting you say that. So – Every dollar counts, whether whether your startup or whether now, you know, we have money coming in, but there's a lot of money going out. So you need to uh, there was a this is I'm dating myself here, but there, there was this game called Lemonade Stand. And it was uh, it's probably a, it's probably an app now, but it was on it was on a computer. And, and you started out with a small stand with a couple of uh, cups of ice. And, and as you get the customers coming, you have money coming in. And then you reinvest into like an ice machine and then a sugar yeah. machine. You buy them both. So, and then you had this empire of a lemonade stand. So it's kind of the same mentality. You start small. You, you figure out as many things as you can. Once you start getting money in, you still got to be careful of how you're getting that money out and who you're paying. OK, they have to give you a rate of uh, a return on investment. You can't just pour money out and not expect anything to come out. And those we've hired ad agencies in the past. And, you know, I, I say marketers are like meteorologists. They get paid whether they're right or they're wrong. You know, oh, it's going to rain today. Oh, sorry, it's sunny. But here's your paycheck. Same thing. 
I mean, it's, it's just the same thing. And people are, you know, if they're listening, oh, he's full of shit. No, I'm not. I mean, I spent, we spent $20,000 on an agency and we got squat out of it. Squat. You know how much, it, how, how many sets we have to sell to profit 20? That's a lot of money. So yeah. you've got to be careful of what you're putting your money out for. And the more you can learn and do on your own, the better your business is going to be. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that. So I work at the the YMCA and uh, like I work with kids. I've done it just to get through school. And just the just two days ago, actually, this uh, fourth grade girl was playing this game on her iPad because they all have iPads now. Sure. And I was like, oh, what are you playing? Because it just looked way different than what everyone else was playing. And it was like that. Uh, her, like, yeah, her character was like in charge of a... Uh, like a spot at a food court and nice. you, you started off with whatever money it gave you and you could buy like two food items. And then as you progressed, you could like invest your money and in more food and drinks or like increase the wait time for each customer. And I was she, like, those are the games. Those, that's like, it, man. Yeah. That's where the money should be. Financial literacy for kids. Teach them. Yeah. Teach them and young. then I like how you mentioned LinkedIn because our professors they they like strive to get us into that Got for un, undergraduate programs they make it a requirement like send us a screenshot for this assignment of your updated profile and uh, when chris <laughs> mead from crossnet was on he talked about how that helped crossnet grow to meet buyers and suppliers and stuff totally look i just had a, I, I connected with white claw you know white claws mm -hmm. That's the, the alcoholic beverage seltzer belt, which is killing, you know, it, they're killing it out there. So the guy I, uh, I connected with, he works on the Mike's Hard Lemonade side of the business, and he's been following my story. So I posted that we got University of Iowa, and he's like, dude, the, I, I love seeing all these colleges get, uh, you know, uh, do, doing licensing with them. You guys are killing it. So I sent him a note. I said, hey, man, thanks, thanks for the uh, kind words. Any chance we could do business with you guys? He goes – Absolutely. Send me a sales deck or whatever. I'll send it up the chain. He sends it up that day and he's like, wow, they're hot. Uh, they're, I don't know, the director of marketing, whatever says this could be perfect for our tailgate season coming up. That's how I got Labatt's. That's how I got Jim Beam. I mean, this is how you make business. This is how this is LinkedIn is the Facebook for the business world. Yeah, that's what it is. It's awesome. So with your manufacturing experience, um, I heard you talk about a pitfall that you hit early on, uh, you and your brother. Could you talk about what went wrong with sure. that factory and then what steps you guys took following that debacle to recover? Sure, absolutely. Uh, they lied to us. Um, they provided us a product, which, um, so I'll tell you perfectly. So the, the frame of our chair, because our game is a chair, um, they used the thinnest gauge thickness steel tube in the, uh, in the chair frame. And it kept failing in the same spot. Not every chair, but it was frequent enough that it was becoming a problem. So we said, all right, what's the solution to this? So we need to make the gauge or the wall of the pipe thicker, the steel tube thicker, so it could withstand the, you know, the weight of the person sitting on it or the football hitting it. So perfect. So we, we increased, uh, they were supposed to give us like, I don't know, the uh the you know what the spec that we asked for 
And they didn't. They gave us the spec that they originally gave to us because it was cheaper for them and they were going to try to make more money off of us. They lied to us and our customer, we're telling our customers that, um, yeah, new and improved, it's thicker, blah, blah, blah. And it kept breaking. So then I weighed the before and after frame and it was the same exact weight. So if you're making it thicker, it should be heavier. So how do we solve that problem? Well, one, he, it cost us about 75, maybe $10,000 and the guy wasn't giving our money back. So you're like, oh, why don't you sue him and do this? And I took the advice of somebody who said, Mike, you can go after that. You're going to spend all this money in legal fees, time and energy going in that direction. Might as well just cut bait and go somewhere else. And that's what we did. So, so we learned a lesson there for quality control and seeing who we can do business with and who we can't. And you move on. So it was a hit in the beginning, but we, we sold enough and there wasn't as many that broke that we had to replace because we pride ourselves on customer service, our business. And I will answer every text, every email. If somebody has a question, an issue with the game, what do you need? Send it right out. Even if they ran over with their car, no questions asked, we'll, we'll send it out. Because we feel genuinely the customer um, has our best interest in mind. And, uh, you know, there's not people scamming the system. They see where we're coming from. They see the story. They see it's a family business. And and uh, I don't think they're out to screw anybody trying to put one over on us. But we want to go above and beyond. And the, the accolades that we've got from our customers about the customer service that we provided is is tremendous. And for those people starting a business out there, the most important thing that you can do is provide customer service. It costs you absolutely nothing and it'll give you the best return. And if you're sending a product out to somebody, put a handwritten note in there. When was the last time you got a handwritten note? My mom. (laughs) Right. But when you bought something, everybody say, hey, hey, Cody, thanks for the support, man. We appreciate you as part of the QB54 Nation. We put that in there and people are like, Amazing. And, and I stole that idea. We got a kitchen table made from a company in West Virginia. She sent a postcard, handmade. She sent a postcard to us a month out and said, hey, I'm so-and-so. I just want to let you know I'm making your table. I'm going to take good care of it. I'm like, wow, I never got that before handwritten. And then I go under the table. She signed it. She signed her table. I was like, this, this is the most amazing thing that I've ever seen before. You know what? I'm going to take that and use that in my business. And people love it. So I'm just curious from a personal standpoint. How did you guys find the, like, how did you even find your manufacturer? Because I know uh, from CrossNet, Chris, he said that they just did a bunch of research on Alibaba. Alibaba. Yeah, sorry. That's okay. Oh. Um, so <laughs> we, we've gone through a couple of manufacturers, and one manufacturer we met at a uh, national tailgating licensing uh, show in Vegas. That was one. Um, I got introduced uh, through a friend to another, and one happened to be a customer of ours that was in the in the business. So that that's kind of it's it's more of a network thing than me going online trying to search. Um, and look, you, you try to make friends also with other people in the industry. Like I know the guys at Bottle Bash, um, from Polish Horseshoes. You know, with the bottle uh, on the pole, and you throw the frisbee, and you knock the. the yeah. Those, those guys are awesome, right? Um, so I meet them at trade shows. I met the guys at Kanji and those guys are great. And, you know, I think everybody wants to see everyone succeed because if we all rise up, you know, as a group, the, 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 the market gets better. There's better games out there. And, you know, if there's any way I can help out another company, I'll be more than happy to help. And when you give, you also receive. So, um, it comes back to you. So making those connections and trusting those people, you can, Figure out a whole bunch of different ways. I got a freight forwarder now. If anybody needs one, uh, we have manufacturing. You know, it's it's all there. 
I like how you talk about it, like if someone buys, whether it's your guys' game or like Can Jam, it increases the market because I asked Court from Sauce Toss if he viewed, you know, other games as competitors or kind of accents to his brand because I would think if someone buys like uh, Ramp Shot or Can Jam, then they're probably more likely to buy QB54 as opposed to like a video game or something. Right. Well, look, I, I wouldn't want anybody to knock off my game. Like if there's a, a direct competitor to me, if somebody took our idea, which we're fully patent, by the way, um, if, if somebody, you know, copied our game and started, I'd be pissed off at that. Sure. Just like I'm sure any of the other guys are, are feeling the same way. But if it's a, a compliment to the game, like a sauce toss or a ramp shot, I know the guys at ramp shot, they're really nice guys too. Uh, yeah, I think, Look, you, you, you have one person is not going to just play one game for the rest of their life. You know, you want a variety of different games. You can have a yard Olympics in the background in, in the backyard, you know. Um, but, you know, the, the 800 pound gorilla in the, in, the, in the room is Cornhole. You know, everybody's like, oh, Corn look, it's a fun game. Right. It, 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 it's, it's been around for so many years because uh, for a reason it's fun. It's simple. It's not very difficult to, to play. Um, but. If you keep playing the same game over and over again, you might get a little bored and you want to try something new. Look, we're the only football game on the market. There's golf with Chippo. There's, you know, um, what else is there? There's Can Jam. There's Cornhole. There's no football games out there. So we have the football market, right? So the biggest sport out there is football. Who do people tailgate at? Football games. So when you go to a football game, wouldn't you want to throw a football instead of a Frisbee or a beanbag? We think so. Not to say that those games are bad, but hey, throw the football around. Play some football with no concussions. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned Ramp Shot because when those guys, uh, we did that episode probably two weeks ago, and yeah. they they sent me a set, and my niece's birthday party was last week, and I played it that week, and they sent it, and they emailed me and were like, asked me what my thoughts were. And I was like, you know, compared to like, uh, you know, like you said, the 800 pound gorilla of cornhole, getting cornhole boards and like putting them in a car is a hassle because right. of the weight and the dimensions ramp shot just stacked into each other and just fit in the trunk, like no problem. So I said, that was so easy. In our game, you fold everything up, goes yeah. into your bag and then boom, you're off to, off to the races and you can sit on it. It's comfortable. So two uses in one. So you and your brother were fortunate enough a few years ago to be featured on the Steve Harvey show, Thunderdome. So how did you and your brother prepare to be on that show? If you did, I don't know if you just went on there. Because like, you guys have very strong personalities, because I watched the clip. So it's funny you should say that. So we get there. We always had breakfast at the same place. I forgot what it was, because it was in walking distance. And then... Uh, we before the show, it was Monday Night Football down San, San Diego Chargers versus the Denver Broncos. Right, the, the the stadium still existed, so we decided to go down and we had one prototype with us, and we decided to go down and tailgate and sell our game, and it was great. Uh, and before that, we did this trick shot off the Venice uh, Beach, uh, the Venice Pier at Venice Beach. Took us three hours to make this shot, uh, but my brother finally nailed it. Um, but the day of the show, I'll never forget this. We're, we're in the green room and we're, I don't know, 10 minutes from going on. And even, sorry, even the night before we kind of came up with a script and I'm like, dude, we got to prepare. We got to prepare. We got to keep, 
And I could have sworn my brother was going to, you know, hit me in the face. He's like, dude, would you shut up? We don't have to go over this a million times. I'm like, yes, we do. So our, our personalities and, uh, you know, we had a little bit of a fight. I'm like, oh, this is great. Good chemistry to go on on a TV show before we go on. And then we're sitting in the green room I'm like, Frank, we got to go over this. So we're going over, going over. And I'm like, dude, we got it. He's like, would you stop? Let's just go out there and do the show. So we get out there. And I think we crushed it. I mean, our president, even Steve Harvey said our presentation was perfect. And I think it was perfect because we prepared. I forced him to prepare. We just went over our lines. We had to nail it. And you, when you prepare and practice, it just takes over in a stressful situation. And that's with any sport. That's with any life event or whatever. If you're going to public speak, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. So. We've been, we prepared just by going over our lines, coming up with something clever, and just I tried just pounding it into my brother's head until he was going to pound me. <laughs> was it was it more fun than it was stressful? Or I'm just curious because I, yeah. I can't imagine all that pressure. So five seconds before we go down stage, the producer comes. You see her leaning in with her headphones. You count down five, four, three, and Boom, you have to go out there jumping up and down, showing all the – so I would say in the first 20 seconds, it's like you're walking a tightrope. You're like, oh, my God, am I going to fall? And then it settles in, and then it just takes over. I would say our pitch, uh, halfway through, I, I was nervous too about halfway through, and then once we got halfway through, I'm like, we got this. And then when Steve came over and started asking us questions – that's our wheelhouse, you know, so you ask questions, just like you're asking questions now. I didn't study for any of this stuff. It's just life experience. You just spit it out. Whether it's good or not, I don't know. <laughs> so I've actually had this question. I, like, I try not to ask the same question in, in these podcasts, especially sure. this series. And I've been sitting on this one for a while and wanted to use it with this episode. I don't know if you know the name Sarah Blakely, but she's the founder of Spanx, the yes. woman's apparel. Um, I listened to a podcast called How I Built This on NPR, and it's all entrepreneurs, and I really like it. And there was an episode I listened to last year that she did, and she said this quote. She said that ideas are most fragile in their infancy, even million-dollar ideas. And what she meant was with her uh, Spanx brand was that when she came up with it, like in the first weeks and months, she didn't want to share it with anyone because if you share it with someone, they're like, oh, that's a dumb idea you're probably going to be embarrassed and throw it in the trash. So she said she kept it close to the vest and only shared it with people that she thought would help her grow the idea. Um, so I'm curious, how did you and your brother overcome like that fear or whatever whenever you were bringing this game to market? Because like you said, you guys played it for 30 plus years and then finally made a business out of it. So there's something out there called crab mentality. Um, she's very true. Uh, in her quote, uh, you put two crabs at the bottom of a bowl. Uh, one crab tries to climb out. The other crab tries to pull that crab back down because she doesn't want to see that other one succeed and get out of the bowl. So she's absolutely correct. And we deal with this all the time. Um, how, did, how did we deal with it? So uh, we've had this game for 30 years before we did anything. And, and I think we were, you know, I don't know if scared or insecure, you know, might be the right word. We cared about what other people thought. Uh, it just got to that point where, you know, we introduced it and I've always been an entrepreneur at heart, but just didn't have the guts to go after it because I didn't know if I had a good enough idea or not. So when his neighbor came over and played and um, really liked it, it struck a chord with me and it's like, you know what, I, I think we got something here. 
I think we should go after it. And I got to tell you, my brother was not sold. Uh, he was not sold until after I made a prototype and put it in front of people. He was against the idea. Um, and I had to talk him into it. And I think, you know, if I had some advice to give people is, uh, I don't know if I can curse on here, but, uh, you know, you just don't give a shit about what other people think. Um, I've learned that at a late age and it's been very empowering and, and gives you this freedom. Like, you know, just, just imagine, um, you know, going to a bar or whatever. And if there's a girl there that you, you know, that you think is attractive, don't give a shit, go after it. What, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? She's going to turn you down. Right. Or a job, you know, Oh, I don't know if I'm going to be, what's the worst thing that's going to happen. You're not going to get it. But if you don't go after it, you're never going to see what could happen. So, and when you don't care about what other people think, Oh, your idea is crap, this, that it makes the, it makes it the, the process so much more easier. I wish I learned that lesson years prior because we'd be so much further in the business than we are today. Cause I would have had the guts to go after it, but you know, maybe timing is there for a reason who knows, but I would say, don't care about what other people think. So that's done, but yeah, you got to work on that segues perfectly into that second to last question. Um, so talking about the role that like failure plays in shaping individuals and the future success of a business or whatnot. Um, you've we talked before pressing record about the idea that you said investing in your own children's ideas in the future if they want to pursue that route sure so more looking at that more in depth how do you think colleges or like we're a, a sport management program how do you think that they can utilize that structured environment with uh you know the learning environment and classes and stuff to help prepare future entrepreneurs in sports? So I would say this, I think it would be a cool idea for colleges in this type of environment. Um, if there was like a pool of ideas, right? So say you're a freshman, you're a freshman and you have four years in the program. Four years is a long time to, uh, it goes by quick, but in our four years, we've been in business now five years, but in that four year stretch, that uh, we, we grew a ton. And as far as not necessarily just money, but uh, assets to the business, learning, knowledge. So what if a college had like a pool of ideas, right? And you had a team that started that uh, started a corporation um, for this, I don't know, let's say they invented the, the iPhone or whatever, or they invented the pencil. They get to choose um, what product that they want to build a business off of. Right. And it becomes a group project for maybe it's the class or or maybe it's just four people in the group. Maybe it's one person. But they take that product from the infancy stage through four years or whatever through their college to see where they can grow that. You know, maybe the the, the, the school would fund, you know, part of the um, part of the process. But what the school is doing is and I don't know who gets the the rights to the iPhone or, or the pencil does it go back to Ohio State or Indiana uh, Indianapolis University who cares so you're trying to teach the, ch uh, the the student an entrepreneurial skill set what better way of doing it than doing it in the real world having them grow the product and at the end of four years see exactly how far they grew that product and they can you know they could see all the the lessons that they learned along the way under the guise of maybe a, a, you know, a teacher or whatever. But to me, real life experience or a real life product bringing it to market is really the only way that you could truly experience what it's like to be an entrepreneur and to learn. 
there's got to be the responsibility on the student to do that. And whether it's their own money that they put in or maybe it's the grade that they get from their class. So if they fail miserably, maybe they get an F. Or if they succeed beyond anybody's wildest, then they get an A+. You know, somewhere it's somewhere in the middle. And they, they can have metrics in there saying, hey, they hit the marketing goal. They hit the manufacturing goal. They hit the supply chain goal. And what they're doing is they're learning the process along the way. I think that that would be a fantastic idea. Whenever I like type up these questions, I just like to see how I would answer them. And when I was typing that up, I think one thing I didn't start thinking about it until like putting these entrepreneurial series together is like the idea of the like surrounding. So we're close to downtown Indianapolis where there's other universities. Like it'd be cool if sport management programs from other departments work together, like on an idea, like you said, because, you know, a student from our campus could easily have a different background than a student from another campus and they sure. can build off of that. So well, take, take you, take you for instance, right? You're, you're, you're in sports management. Is that, is that what you're, you're yeah. doing? Okay. So you're doing a, you're doing a podcast, right? You're creating something from nothing. You're in the sports world, sports industry, and you now create a business of this podcast. All right. This is your idea. You're bringing it to, you know, reality. So how do you make money off of this? Okay. So you started your project with one listener. Now you grew it up to whatever thousand listeners that you have, but are you going to start to sell advertising? Are you going to get local businesses uh, uh, in on your podcast to help promote their businesses? So you're starting this business from scratch. Why, why wouldn't Indiana University, sorry, Indianapolis University or University of Indianapolis? University of Indianapolis. Right. Why, why wouldn't University of Indianapolis get behind you, one of their students, to see you succeed and, and make that as part of the business or sports management program? I mean, think about that. Think, think you did this, Tom, next to you invented a, a water bottle that, you know, unscrews from the bottom and they can clean it from the bottom. You know, I mean, encourage the idea, right? Yeah. Your uh, your enthusiasm is something else. I gotta say, I I heard it. I heard it on that other show, and right. part of me was thinking like, oh, she edited it and made him sound better. But no, it's real. <laughs> Thanks. It's good or bad. I don't know. I I wear my heart on my sleeve. That's what you get. <laughs> so that was really like all the, you know, the topic questions <laughs> I had. 